It's time for our Our State segment now, and we're going to learn more about Dust Studio. That's an emerging architecture and design practice founded back in 2018 by uh, Dino Virinos and Sarah Horseman. They join me now. Good afternoon to you both, and uh, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Graham. Thanks for having us. Hi, Graham. Dust Studio sounds interesting. Tell us what it's all about and uh, why you started. Yeah, thanks, Graham. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Dash Studio um, is a practice that specialises in architecture, interior design, landscape architecture. And Sarah and I, um, as well as being directors of the practice, are also husband and wife. So we share the uh, the joys of having all elements of our lives completely intertwined. Um, Sarah, in 2018, um, decided that she wanted to make a change and suggested the eye of idea of creating our own architecture practice and I support her in that and then 12 months later I joined her in 2019 at the start of that year and in that time since we've grown uh, through what has been a challenging time with COVID as you were just talking to the listeners about um, from a team of just the two of us in the front room of our home in Parkside now to a team of 17 professionals. Now when you started up um, was it to fulfill a sort of a void in the market or did you have uh, ideas of your own and want to take it in a different direction? Um, in all honesty, when we first started, it was really, I don't know, maybe selfishly about having, um, I guess, more control and flexibility in our own lives. We were working very, very long hours um, in the jobs that we were working in at the time, plus doing a lot of small personal projects on the side and I guess it all became a little bit too much after a while and so we decided, okay, let's look at our work-life balance and see if we can make some positive changes in that direction. And I guess initially we thought it was just going to be the two of us working on residential projects, but the past few years have kind of, yeah, shown a bit of a significant growth and it's gone in a different direction, but it's, um, yeah, it's going really well. Yeah, I think we're kind of at the front end of that idea of the Great Reset in a lot of ways. It's- starting to emerge now, but um, in terms of there being a gap in the marketplace, I suppose uh, what we've seen transpired since suggests that perhaps there has been a desire from all different sectors that we work in, whether that be residential all the way through to um, defence or education or technology, that um, our clients are looking for a different approach to how you might deliver, deliver projects. And so that's why we've been able to sustain ourselves over the last two, three years. Well, Das Studio has grown rapidly since its inception just those few years ago. Tell us about your journey that's led you from where you were to uh, having a staff of 17 now. Well, as Sarah said, it definitely wasn't the plan. Um, it, it, interestingly, we were primarily working on residential projects and then an opportunity came up to work on a, a larger project in Mount Gambia, of all places, uh, the old Oatmeal Precinct. Um, down on Percy Street and that gave us a level of confidence that perhaps well maybe we could hire someone to help us and and see what happens from there and from those humble beginnings uh, we found our services being courted a fair bit but it wasn't until um, an opportunity came up for the Department for Education around delivering a new um, procurement model to, to provide prefabricated and modularised school infrastructure as part of the transition from Year 7 being in primary school to high school, that things really took off. And we were successful securing a pilot project as part of that program, which was for 12 school projects, value of $50 million. So we needed to very quickly uh, <laughs> to, to meet that opportunity. And, um, yeah, we've been able to sustain ourselves since then, um, which has been interesting with 
the challenges that COVID has presented. Sarah, how's your background in architecture and, and industrial design influenced your approach to what you're doing, particularly designing interiors? Um, I would say that, I mean, along with the residential projects that we work on um, and the commercial ones as well, we do um, work a lot in the accommodation and tourism space. Um, we have a, another business that we're part owners of um, that revolves around um, I guess yeah, prefabricated pre- modular hotel rooms pretty much that can be dropped into regional locations. Yeah and so the idea of looking at a building more as a product really um, I found very interesting and the ability to bring together um, the two degrees that I've studied and kind of see how the two of them can play upon one another in um, the built environment space um, has been really interesting over the past few years. Yeah, to be, to be able to integrate Sarah's um, ability to really deeply interrogate that the micro-level detail of a product-type approach means that she's able to add a really strong user experience kind of lens to the projects that we design. Mm, the idea of taking a building and then, I guess, essentially looking at it like it's a prototype that you can do over and over again and improve as you move on um, I think is a different way towards what people typically look at architecture as being, where it's normally just one site, one brief, one client, and then you move on and you start all over again the next time. The ability for us to be able to continually um, adapt and improve upon a singular idea has been really interesting. Do you have to keep looking for new ideas or is it just a matter of sort of modifying things that have worked for you in the past? Well, that's interesting. I mean, the saying goes, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But I think what we've been able to do is have very strong principles and ethos in terms of our approach to design fundamentally. And we invest a great deal of time, not just as individuals, but as a whole team, collectively researching and learning. And we're very, very lucky that we're getting the opportunity to work on some pretty amazing projects that uh, demand of us to be quite innovative as well in our approach. So we're able to, you know, inform the design response from a whole range of different backgrounds. Uh, we we do, uh, as you get to do things over and over again as well, you obviously do improve and you find efficiencies, but we're really keen as a team to be out in front of changing the way that we're going to live, work, love, learn, I said that already, um, <laughs> in the future. Dino, you've, you've touched on the fact you've got some exciting projects in the pipeline. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, what's in the year ahead for you? Yeah, it's really quite exciting for us because we're seeing now after two or three years of intensive design and documentation work, seeing our projects actually be built, um, which is kind of the point of doing what we do. Um, the, there's a few. One in particular um, is the Factory of the Future, a project that we're working on with Flinders University and BAE Systems Maritime Australia down at Tonsley. So we're currently working on stage one of that project, which is envisaged to be a, a, a test bed for bringing the local manufacturing industry into the opportunities that were presented by the $50 billion Future Frigate Program. And we've also got a grant application in for the Modern Methods of um, Manufacturing Initiative that uh, has now gone up to, I believe, um, the Prime Minister for some additional funding so we're hopeful that we'll hear about that soon. That means that project will scale from a $10 million project to a $60 million project, which is very exciting. 
Um, we're also working on a project for Oz Minerals in Cronin Hill, um, which is called the Agani Neuro Innovation Centre. So taking one of the mines now, the underground mine at the end of its life, and looking at ways in which we can activate that and invite um, all kinds of different industries to use that very extreme environment to test and pilot new ideas for how we might deal with mining in the future, but also thinking about things like space and agriculture and other elements such as that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see why you need a team of 17. Yeah, there's a bit going on, and that's just scratching the surface, really. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take a break. Just uh, hold the line. We're speaking with Sarah and Dino from Das Studio. This is 5AA Summer Afternoons. 13 to 2, 5AA in the Our State segment. We're learning about the uh, architect and design practice, Das Studios. And joining me, Sarah Horseman and Dino Vrinios. And Sarah, a, a question for you. And, you know, we can't talk on any segment um, on radio at the moment without bringing up the, the COVID factor. And, of course, it influences and, and affects just about every one of us. People have been spending a whole lot more time in their homes due to inability to travel and restrict work restrictions and COVID restrictions. Has that impacted on the sort of projects that DAS are working on? Um. Well, yes, most definitely. Um, I think we have definitely had a big increase in the number of um, residential inquiries over the past, I guess, year and a half um, with the increase of people spending more time at home. I think um, not only have, with the inability to travel, do people have a little bit more change in their pockets to spend on other things, but also the sort of... um, having more time to consider the space that they've been spending a lot of time in and thinking about how um, they can, you know, make that space more livable, um, more, you know, workable with a lot of people working from home, greater ways of creating flexibility around having kids um, in the house with them all the time while people are trying to work. Um, it really has changed, I think, a lot of the briefs that we've got from our clients as well around the types of things that are important to them um, in a home these days. A lot of this has been brought on, of course, by COVID. Do you see, is it sort of setting a new standard and people sort of saying, well, this is the new normal, we'll continue working like this in the future? It's a very interesting one. We are working on some commercial projects, new head offices for for companies who are um, emerging businesses much like ourselves and they're growing and we're having to consider the sort of number of people they might actually expect to be in the office environment versus having that mm-hmm. flexibility to work at home. So it's causing us to think a little bit differently around the way we create these environments, um, whether they be more flexible to allow for rapid scaling or reduction at certain times, um, getting greater efficiency about multiple uses. So it's just forcing us to in a good way, use our acumen to come up with more creative solutions for mm. how our clients get the best bang for buck while still providing the best environment to, to live and learn and work. Dino, you, you touched on earlier a modular construction. Um, mm. um, sounds very interesting. But how does it differ from the conventional design approach and, and what benefits does it offer? Yeah, it's a really interesting and um, potentially long-drawn-out answer I can give you to that. But I, I guess the short of it is, in principle, the construction process can be a little bit inefficient at times. And so the idea of modularizing or prefabricating building elements is kind of in line with a lot of Sarah's 
education too in terms of product design. So it's bringing in a more manufactured approach to how you might go about creating a building. Um, in Within that, there's a few different sort of degrees of how prefabricated or modular you might build something. It could be as simple as a wall panel all the way through to what we call a completely volumetric, complete module of a building that comes together like a Lego kit. So it, it has a range of different ways of, of benefiting not just our, our customers and clients, but also the environment as well, because in principle it's far more um, environmentally sustainable because it's far more efficient. There's much less waste, not just of products, but also people's time. Um, so in terms of the benefits, what we've found with a lot of the projects that we've been working on, the modular prefab approach allows us to unlock new value um, by shifting the dial around what's important for a project. With the schools, it was specifically around the time constraints and getting projects finished faster, which is what modular construction can allow for. It also means there's less disruption on site and impact in teaching. Um, another project that we've just finished is for the Royal Fine Doctor Service in Maree. So we've been able to prefabricate an entire um, 250 square metre facility for them in a, in a factory here in Lonsdale, driven it up, and then in the space of a month it was ready to, to operate. So far less disruption um, to their um, operations, but also means that instead of the inefficiency of sending people out to Maree and having to put them up in accommodation, we're able to embed that value in the building rather than lose those inefficiencies. Just listening to what you both have to say, Dusty there is obviously very entrepreneurial in its thinking. You uh, conduct future forums. What do you hope to achieve from that area? Well, one of the key principles um, of our practice that we all kind of came together to write is called uh, is Make Better. So it, it's a key part of our DNA. And so Future Forum is an opportunity for us to bring together experts from adjacent sectors, uh, whether that be about the circular economy, whether it be about housing affordability, whether it be about the future of education, and actually just have a really um, like highly curated conversation about how we can improve things moving forward. And so we, as a business, as a practice, and as individuals, want to do what we can to have impact at scale. And that involves sharing knowledge. And we think that's the key part of what we do. That's a bit different to most of our practices. Do you find that uh, people are very receptive? Like, do you, do you have to convince people to sort of drag them along, say, this is the way of the future? Or are people pretty receptive? Uh, Maybe it's changed slowly over time. Yeah, I, I think so. I think what's, what's very unique about this time is that with COVID, it's forced people to get a little bit more uncomfortable with being uncomfortable and the idea of change. So with that in mind, it's meant that I guess we've had the opportunity to be a bit more bold in some of our thinking. But because we've been able to, as a business, grow and sustain ourselves and work across a multitude of sectors, we've been able to yeah, differentiate ourselves and make people feel comfortable with doing things a little bit differently. And I think that's kind of been our point of difference. We're finding ourselves working for on, on endeavours that are largely forward-thinking in terms of the fact of the future or an innovation centre or the, a new version of delivery of health services in regional Australia. We kind of make our clients feel comfortable to be a bit more ambitious in their thinking and a bit more progressive. So that's kind of what's allowed us to, yeah not have to push so hard these days. So I think our clients that get it, just get it. So, and um, they come to us. And they come to us. Yeah. they know that's what, yeah, what we're we about. Achieve, yeah. You work on a, a lot of residential projects, Sarah. Um, does your thinking have to be different when you're, when you're dealing with, with residential? 
same design elements are, are key across any types of projects that we're working on. But um, what I really love about our residential projects that we work on is the collaborative process that we take um, with our clients that, you know, nobody ever comes to us and just says, design me a home, and then we turn around and say, okay, this is what we get. Um, we have a very, very thorough um, and extensive briefing process, and we like to refer to it as a bit of an interrogation. Um, we really get to know our clients, and the better we get to know them, the I guess the best design we can provide for them in the end, and you get the best outcome. And the other great thing about it is, you know, you build these beautiful relationships with getting to know these people and we finish off our homes and, you know, we have friends for life, which I guess is what I love so much about our residential process. I see you've recently been awarded the National Emerging Architect Prize by the Australian Institute of Architects. Uh, that must have been uh, pretty impressive. You must be pretty happy with that. And what effect has it had on you? Uh, um, yeah, well, it was very, to be honest, quite um, overwhelming at the time. I... I'm not one that's ever really lost for words, but I was quite taken back by that. Um, to be acknowledged within my state as an emerging leader was um, a wonderful recognition of a sustained period of hard work, but to then be acknowledged nationally is yeah pretty extraordinary. I, I think there's only one of us South Australian that's ever um, received that award. So um, what what that meant for me now, though, is I, I guess the validation that we're doing something right and I suppose permission to continue to push and, you know, yeah, in the best way we can have impact at scale and help make the world better. I think there's no doubt that people uh, listening are fascinated by what you've got to say, and there's obviously a lot of study and a lot of hard work that's gone into it. But a question for you, Sarah, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about pursuing a career in interior design? I think that, I mean, don't just think about it do it. If it's, if it's something that you're passionate about, um, then it's just the best thing that you could possibly do. Like I come to work every day and I don't, I don't think of work as work because it's, it's something that I love doing. And I know that Dino feels exactly the same way. So to be able to turn a passion into a career, I think is, um, yeah, definitely one of the best things that I've ever done. So yeah, don't think about it, just do it. And finally, for you, Dino, what's the point of difference that sets DAS aside from other practices? Yeah, it's interesting because we spend a lot of time contemplating that ourselves. Um, I think what what we as a practice represent as a relatively young team, um, we bring together a, a breadth of collective knowledge garnered over a long period of time working in other practices. And what's unique about a, a team that's as young together as us is that we can actually pretty much do any type of project that um, any architecture practice in South Australia could do. So we provide, I guess, a point of difference as a departure from business as usual. So that's kind of been our point of difference, I think, first and foremost. And like I said earlier, that we help our clients feel safe to be a bit more bold and ambitious in their thinking. Well, good to talk to you both today and congratulations and best wishes for the future. From Dust Studio, Sarah Horseman and Dino Vrinos with our state segment.